Good evening to you, and thank you all for joining us tonight of our Wednesday night Bible study. I enjoy all every service that we have here at the church. Anytime that we can um, come together and sing praise unto the Lord and dive into His truth, that's always a good time, and I enjoy that. But I especially love Wednesday nights. Man, Wednesday nights are a special time for me when you're able to come in the middle of the week and get into the Word of God with the people of God. And I'm hoping and I'm praying that we'll be back in this place in the very near future. My hope and my prayer and my plan is to maybe be back in service around the 24th of this month. That's on a Sunday morning, and I'm hoping and praying that we're going to be able to do that. And I hope and pray that you uh, would, would uh, petition the Lord along with me and pray that God would um, work in that situation and that we're able to be back together. I'm missing uh, the brothers and sisters in Christ. I miss my church family. And so um, that's our plans as of right now. And I hope and pray uh, that we're able to do so um, in the next few weeks. But um, tonight, I'm asking you to please join me in looking at Romans chapter number 8. We started there last week, and uh, we found out that Romans chapter 8 is packed full of the freedoms we have in Jesus. Do you realize that if you're saved tonight, that if you are blood-bought tonight, if you've been born again into the family of God, the Bible says your position has changed. That you went from being outside of Jesus to being in Jesus. It tells us that over and over and over again all throughout the New Testament. And for those who are in Jesus, a lot of blessings and a lot of benefits are coming your way. Man, what a blessing it is to be saved. And we're going to talk a lot about all of that tonight. The blessings and benefits that come to the believer come to us not because of who we are, but because of who He is. Not because of what we have done, but because of what He has done. And the Bible says now that we are in Christ, we are made partakers of all Christ is, all Christ has, and all Christ does. Now right here in Romans chapter number 8, we found out that um, it outlines for us four freedoms that we have because we are in Jesus. Because we have trusted in Him and been born again into the family of God. Last week we looked at Romans 8 verses 1 through 4. And we found out that we are free from judgment. We have freedom from judgment because we are in Jesus. See, because we are in Christ, God the Father no longer sees us as being in our sin. When God looks upon the believer, He sees us as the righteousness of His Son. That's an amazing thing to me. That blows my mind every time I think about it. The, the Lord no longer sees me as a lost sinner. Now He sees me as a saved son. Being born again by faith in Christ into his family. And the righteousness of Jesus has been put on my account, has been imputed unto me by faith. You say, Brother Ezra, if that's true, that's about the best thing I've ever heard of. Well, it's true, not because I've said it, but because God's word says it. Let me prove it to you. Take your Bibles and look back with me real quick at Romans chapter number four. Let's refresh our memory before we go any further because it's going to help with the rest of our study tonight. Romans chapter four. And let's just look down at verse number 
number five. Now Paul here is describing Abraham. Remember he gave us this illustration of justification by faith and he used the life of Abraham to illustrate this. And so he says, Romans chapter four, verse number five, but to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. So it's not by works of the flesh that we are justified, but by faith in God that we are justified. The faith is counted for righteousness. He said that was true for Abraham, but it's not only true for Abraham, that's true for us too. How do we know? Look on down with me. Romans chapter 4, verse 22. He spends the rest of this chapter talking about Abraham and what he did and how he believed God, how he trusted God, how he acted in faith. And then he says in verse 22, And therefore it was imputed unto him, meaning Abraham, for righteousness. That means his faith in God was imputed unto him for righteousness. Righteousness was put on his account by faith. That's an amazing truth. Now let's go on. Look what it says, verse 23. Now it was not written for his sake alone. I love this. That it was imputed to him, but for us also. Now when he says for us, who's he talking to? He's talking to us. He's talking to me. He's talking to you. He's talking to those people in that day, but he's, this is also God's living word for me and for you. Listen, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed if we believe, watch this now, on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. So how is faith put on our account? How is faith imputed to us? It's our, excuse me, how is righteousness put on our account? How is righteousness imputed unto us? It's by faith in Jesus. Are you seeing that? And so now when God sees me, he no longer sees me in my sin, but he sees me as the righteousness of his dear son. That's an amazing thing. Because of this, because of this, there is therefore now no judgment for sin to the believer because we are in Christ. Look what it says there, Romans chapter 8, verse number 1. There is therefore now, now, he's speaking of the present he's, as opposed to the past. He's talking about where we are now in Jesus as opposed to where we were pre-Jesus, before we trusted in, in the Lord. He says there's therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. And this is amazing. He's telling us that there is therefore now no condemnation for sin because we are in Christ. We are free from judgment. There's no condemnation to the believer. Now, how is all of this made uh, possible for us? By mercy and grace. <laughs> Let me define for you mercy, mercy and grace. See, mercy is God not giving us what we do deserve. That's mercy. So how many of you understand, if we all get what we deserve, guess what? We get a devil's hell because all of us have broken God's law by nature and we've all broken God's law willfully. That makes us sinners, listen to me folks, deserving of judgment, deserving of condemnation. If we get what we deserve, we get hell. But because of God's mercy, he don't give us what we do deserve. But now listen, he's also shown us grace. And grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. Amen. Grace is God uh, imputing unto us the righteousness of Christ when we place our faith in Him. Grace is God putting us into the family of God even though we don't deserve it. Grace is God giving us eternal life and abundant life as believers.
Grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. It's that amazing grace that saves those who trust in Jesus. So there is now no condemnation for sin. There's no more control of sin in the believer's life. Sin don't have to control us, shouldn't be controlling us. And there's no more continuance in sin as we live out our lives. That's what we found out in Romans 8, 1 through 4. We are free from judgment. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Tonight, let's move on a little further, and we're going to talk about Romans chapter 8, verses 5, and we'll probably go through verse number 17 if we've got time. If not, we'll just go as far as we can. But let's read uh, for, for the moment through verse number 11, starting in verse number 5. Listen to what it says. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death. Now watch this. He says, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace because the carnal mind is enmity against God for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. For if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Now watch, this gets good. Look at verse 10. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. He tells us in verse 11, but the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you. Wait a minute. Watch this now. He's saying the same spirit that raised up Jesus on that first Easter morning dwells in you. And it dwells in me as a believer. The same power that raised up Jesus so that he might walk in the newness of life, listen, gives us power for, so that we might walk in the newness of life. It helps us to overcome what we face in this world. It helps us not to live in, in the sins of our past. It's amazing. He goes on and says right here, the dead dwell, but if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwells in you. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. How good you are to us. Lord, we're so thankful tonight that uh, you have imputed righteousness unto us, not because of who we are, what we've done, but because of who you are, Lord Jesus, and because of what you've done uh, in our lives. Thank you so much, God for doing what I couldn't do and for saving my soul by grace through faith. Thank you, Lord, for changing me. Thank you, God, for making a difference in my life. And I'm asking you, Lord, tonight that you would show us your truth right here in this word, uh, Father, that your truth may go out and convict where conviction is needed and comfort where comfort is needed. Lord, move me out of the way and use me. I can't do this. Lord, I don't want to do this in my power, and I'm praying that tonight you would speak to me, speak through me, fill me up, and pour me out. Use me, Lord, tonight so that you might be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, when Paul is talking about the freedom we have here, I think he's talking about the freedom from defeat in Romans 8, 5 through 17. The key verse... It really comes in verse number 12. Now we stopped at verse number 11 for a reason because I want us to pay close attention to verse 12. Look what it says. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh 
to live after the flesh. So what he's saying is that we are no longer obligated to live after the flesh because that's what debt does. Debt obligates you. Amen. See, the truth is I'm obligated to the uh, Tom Bigby Power this month because they provided a service and at the end of the month I'm going to be in debt for the service they provided. So I have an obligation to them if I want to keep the lights on at the house. But what Paul is saying, we as believers, we are no longer debtors of the flesh. We're no longer obligated to live to please the flesh. And he talks a whole lot here in these verses about the flesh and the spirit. And so I think we need to define our terms before we go any further. What is the flesh? What is the spirit? What's he actually mean by this? When he's talking about the flesh, he's not talking about um, the, the muscle tissue and the skin and the bone and the blood that makes us up to be what we are physically. That's not what he's meaning. See, our, this body that we have, it's really neither good nor bad. It's neutral. It's, it really is. He's not talking about our physical bodies here. He's talking about the sinful nature. When you see the word flesh throughout the, the New Testament, most of the time it's talking about that sinful nature that all of us were born with. I was born with it. You were born with it. Matter of fact, the Bible teaches everybody that was born of the seed of man, everybody who has a physical father, we know that's all of us, was born into sin. We came here sinners standing in need of a Savior. I, I keep telling people all the time, and, and we keep talking about it a lot, especially in our study of the book of Romans, you don't have to do one thing to be a sinner. You came here a sinner. Now, I've got to be honest with you. I struggled with that truth for a long time. I really did. Until uh, I became a father. And when I became a father, I began to see that that's absolutely the truth. I, I'll never forget, man, when I held them babies in my arms for the first time, they were such a blessing to me and their mama. And they still are. And, and man, I was just overwhelmed by the love that I had for them. And I still am. I really am. And I really thought, and when I held them in my arms for the first time, them little bitty uh, precious babies, that they were about as perfect as anything could be. I thought they were little angels here on earth. But I must quote Dr. Tony Evans. He's one of my favorite preachers. You know what he said about his kids and what I've also learned about my kids? Listen to me, folks. As their legs grew longer, their angel wings got shorter. What I mean by that, as they got older, I began seeing that sinful nature that they were born into coming from them. See, I come to realize I didn't have to teach my kids how to tell a lie. They came here knowing how to tell a lie. I didn't have to teach them how to be selfish. They came here knowing how to be selfish. I didn't have to teach them how to take things that didn't belong to them. They came here out of know, knowing how to do all that. I had to teach them differently. I had to teach them not what was wrong. I got to teach them what's right. Why? Because they were born into sin. They were born with the seed of Adam, just like I was. Just like I was. Just like you were. And so we were all born with that sinful nature. That's what Paul here, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is talking about when he uses the term flesh. So what's it mean when it says the spirit? What does he mean there? Well, the spirit is the spirit nature that is given to us who have trusted in Jesus at the moment of conversion. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse number 10 says that all of us were baptized into the body of Christ by one spirit. By the same spirit. 
And it's the Holy Spirit that does that work. That means I was put into the church, the body of Christ. At the moment I placed my faith in Jesus, I was put into the body of Christ by the power of God the Holy Spirit. And anybody who has been saved, you were saved by that same Holy Spirit. Now listen, that Holy Spirit now dwells in us as believers. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 16, Paul puts it like this. He says that, the, uh, that we are the temple of God. That, and we know that the temple is where God dwells. And so the Holy Spirit, God himself, dwells in us as believers. We not only have uh, that old spirit, that old fleshly nature, but we also have now a spirit nature brought to us by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Paul, in another place, one of my favorite verses, he says that we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Do you realize that God himself dwells in you as a believer? I'm talking about the star breathing, sea splitting, dead raising. God that we read about on the pages of Scripture, He dwells in us as believers in the person of the Holy Spirit. So when you're hearing these terms, that's what he's talking about. Now, what I believe Paul does in verses 5, 6, 7, and 8 is contrast for us Two different kinds of living. Now I've heard it preached, these verses, many times before in the past, that he, he's describing or contrasting two different types of Christians. I don't think that's what he's doing. I think he's contrasting the saved and the unsaved. I think he's talking about the difference by being motivated by the flesh and motivated by the spirit. I think he's talking about uh, the difference in being carnal and being spiritual. And we're going to see that in just a moment. Let's first of all look at verse number 5. And we want to see uh, him here talking about living after the flesh and living after the Spirit. He's contrasting the difference of those who are in the flesh and those who are in the Spirit. Look at verse number 5. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. So let's, do, let's, let's see what he's, what he's really saying there. When he uses this phrase, after the flesh, he's talking about those who are living in the flesh... For the flesh. Those who are living in the sinful nature to please the sinful nature. He says those that are in, the, in that shape, those that are living that kind of life, they do mind the things of the flesh, of the sinful nature. That th Their motivation, their mindset it is all about pleasing the flesh. They would live by the old saying that we've heard many times, if it feels good, do it. Amen. If it pleases that old sinful nature, if it pleases um, that nature that came from Adam that we were all born with, then that's what they live after. They are motivated to please the flesh in every way possible. But then he talks about another group. He says in verse number 5, but they that are after the Spirit, now those that are after the Spirit, what do they do? They are living in the Spirit for the Spirit. We saw in Romans chapter 7 the contrast between the spirit and the flesh. And what did he say? The, the, the flesh cannot please God. That old sinful nature, it cannot please 
God. We must operate in the Spirit to be pleasing unto the Lord. So he says those that are living in the Spirit are, are living after the Spirit, for the Spirit. They are motivated by the Spirit to please God. Now let me tell you what this doesn't mean. This doesn't mean that those who are unsaved can't do anything good. And this doesn't mean those who are saved can't do anything bad. It doesn't. Because the truth is, those who are unsaved can do some good things. And the truth is, those who are saved can do some bad things. That's just the way it is. We all um, can do that which is opposite of what we're supposed to be living in. <laughs> so I want you to know, though, the motivation's different. The purpose is different. For those who live in the flesh and for those who live in the Spirit. We talked a whole lot Sunday morning about the purpose of the child of God. The purpose of the child of God, according to the Lord Jesus is to glorify God being salt and light so that when, when men see our good works, God might get the glory. Our purpose is to know God and to make Him known in this world. Not only with our lips, but with our lives. That's what Jesus is talking about there. Being salt and being light. Bringing glory to God the Father. Those who live after the Spirit, those who mind the things of the Spirit, are motivated to please God each and every day by what they do. We really are. Those who are living in the flesh and motivated by the flesh, they mind the things of the flesh so that day by day, they're living to please themselves. There's a difference there. And he's contrasting these two different types of living. Now, not only does he contrast life in the flesh, living after the flesh and living after the Spirit, but he also contrasts death and life. And he says those who are in the flesh are spiritually dead, and those who are in the Spirit have life in Christ. Watch this. Look down. Verse number 6. For to be carnally minded is death. Notice how in verse number 5 and in verse number 6, when he's talking about living and dying and operating in the flesh and operating in the spirit, he talks a whole lot about the mind. He said that those who live after the flesh, mind the things of the flesh, and those who live after the Spirit, mind the things of the Spirit. How are we going to live after the Spirit, live in the Spirit for the Spirit, and, and please God? There's got to be a mindset change. We've got to continually renew our mind in the Word of God so that we know what God wants, when God wants, and where God wants. We, we continually spend time with Him so that we might learn from the Lord what He wants in our lives. It's called being Spirit-led. But it's a mind change, I'm telling you. But He says, those in verse number 6 that are carnally minded, the word carnally there is just another word for fleshly. So again, He's talking about those who are living in that old nature. He says, they, it's death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Let me tell you something. There's a whole lot of people in our world today that are walking around upright. They're taking in air. They're going to work. They're raising families. 
They're doing all the stuff that everybody else does. But the truth is, they're dead. They're spiritually dead. As a matter of fact, anybody who does not know Jesus, anybody who has not trusted in the Lord, the Bible says is spiritually dead. And now I know that to be true because I was once there myself. I was living for self, to please self. I was motivated to do what was right for me. I was dead to the things of the Spirit. We could call them the walking dead. They're doing a lot of the same things that living people are doing, but they really don't have life. You remember me telling you Sunday that you'll never really know what life is all about until you know the creator of life, and you're never going to know the creator of life until you've trusted in Jesus. Until you do that, life's never really going to make sense to you. You're never really going to realize your purpose. You're never going to have the peace of God that passeth all understanding. You're never going to experience the joy of the Lord that helps you through whatever you face. The Bible says, 1 Corinthians chapter number 2. Look what it tells us in verse number 14. Watch this. It says, but the natural man, those that only have that old fleshly nature, the natural man, receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. Why? He answers his own question. He says, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. For us to be able to understand the things of God, to really get a hold of who God is and what God says and the purpose God has... For each and every one. For us to really get a hold of that, we have to have God's Spirit. For those things are spiritually discerned. The natural man that has not yet trusted in Jesus, all he has is that fleshly nature. He's still spiritually dead. Let me give you another verse. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. Watch this. This is one of my favorites. Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 1. Paul here speaking to the Christians, the church at Ephesus, those who have been born again. He, he causes them to take a glance back at their past. In verse number one, he says, And you hath he quickened. To be quickened means to be made alive. He says, And you hath he made alive who were once dead in trespasses and sins. I was once spiritually dead. But the moment I trusted in Jesus, I was made alive to the things of God by the precious Holy Spirit. Now I know the purpose of living. Now I have the peace of God that passeth all understanding. Now I've experienced the joy of the Lord, joy unspeakable and full of glory. I'm not saying that life's perfect and I don't have any problems, but I am certainly saying whatever problems I, faith, God, I face, God faces it with me. He never leaves me nor forsakes me. I am saying that God gives me peace when I shouldn't have peace, when I don't see the world having peace. I, I am saying that He is the friend that sticks closer than a brother. I am saying He is my strength and my strong tower, the one I run to. I am saying God has made a difference in me. 
Certainly not where I need to be, but I'm not where I used to be. And so I'm just telling you, those who don't know the Lord, the Bible says, are spiritually dead. What they need is the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. That's what he describes in Romans chapter number 8, verse number 2. For the law of the spirit of life, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. See, what I'm talking about is not you just trying to follow a list of rules and regulations. Do your best to do all you can do and have some kind of false hope in a religion that can never save you. What I'm talking about is a life-changing power that works on you, works in you, and works through you to accomplish God's will and purpose in your life. I'm talking about a relationship with God Himself that makes you want to serve Him, that helps you to realize you get to serve Him. You don't have to. There's a difference in these two types of living. Living after the flesh, living after the spirit. The one who is in the flesh is spiritually dead. The one who is in the spirit has life in Christ. And then he contrasts something else, verse number 7. He talks about being at war with God and being at peace with God. And I think this is something that is missing greatly today in the gospel message. Do you realize... The person who has not yet trusted in Jesus and is still in their sins is God's enemy. Do you realize that? Now, if there is one person that I don't want to be on the wrong side of, it's the God I read about on the pages of Scripture. If God can speak, and the universe come into existence. I don't want to be on the wrong side of Him. But the Bible says everybody who is not yet trusted in Christ and is still in their sins is an enemy of God. Look with me. Romans chapter 8. Look down at um, verse number 7. Because the carnal mind, those who are still living according to the flesh is enmity against God. Now that word enmity means that they are at war with God. They are rebelling against God. And even the good stuff they're doing, they're not doing to honor God, they're doing to help themselves. I found that to be true when I look back at my life. Pre-Jesus, the good stuff I was doing, I wasn't doing it to honor God, to please God. I was doing it to please myself, to help myself along. I didn't really realize the purpose for living, what life was all about. It was all about me. And so he says those that are in the flesh are enemies of God. Let's, let's go a step further. Flip back to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, look down at um, verse number 10. Again, here he's talking to believers. And he says to these believers in Romans 5 and 10, For if when we were, everybody notice the term were, that speaks of past tense, where you used to be pre-Jesus. He says to these believers and to us, For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. So what's he saying to us? Before we trusted in the finished work of Christ, we were enemies of God. 
But since we have trusted by faith in Jesus, we are no longer enemies of God, but now we have peace with God. Do you see the contrast? I'm thankful I can say tonight, I have peace with God because I know the peace of God. How do I know the peace of God? Well, let's just keep going. Romans 5.1 Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God <laughs> through our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. I'm glad to know that I am no longer an enemy of God, but now the Bible says I'm a friend of God. I'm no longer at war with Him. I'm at peace with Him. Because of what Jesus has done for me. It's amazing. So very thankful for that. Then in verse number 8. And I've already touched on this just a little bit. He talks about the difference in these two kinds of living. And he says, those who live by the flesh are living to please themselves. And those who live after the spirit are living to please God. Look how he puts it. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. We found out, if you remember, Romans chapter 7, that the flesh rebels against God continually. That's all the flesh can do. That's why as believers we are to reckon ourselves dead to the flesh so that we might walk in the newness of life. Romans 6.13 so what I'm telling you is, folks, if you're in the flesh, you're living to please self, you can't please God. It's not about God's will. It's about your will. Jesus is the best example of what it means to live in the Spirit in such a way that you're doing everything you can do to please God. Do you remember throughout the uh, gospel messages, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you, you see time after time, Jesus talks about this being not his will, but God's will. Continually, he's praying for God's will, the Father's will. Continually, he's praying that God's will be done. It wasn't about what he wanted. It was about what God wanted, God the Father wanted. One of the greatest examples of this comes in the book of Matthew, chapter number 26. And if you will, look with me in verse number 36. Then cometh Jesus with them into a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter, the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here, and watch with me. And he went a, little, went a little further, and fell on his face, and prayed, and saying, O oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Now why is he praying this? I think in, in Gethsemane, the weight of the sins of the whole world was already being placed upon him. When we went through our, our study of the book of John, we found out that Gethsemane actually means a place of crushing. In Gethsemane, there was an olive press. And that's where Jesus went to pray. And in that olive press, those olives were put in and then a heavy stone was rolled over them and the oil was pressed out. 
And I think the picture in all of that is that when Jesus was there praying and the Bible says that his sweat became as great drops of blood, I believe in even at that time the sins of the world, my sin and your sin, was being placed upon the Holy Son of God and God the Son. And it was crushing him to the point that blood was coming out of his pores. And he prays and he says, Lord, let this cup pass from me. If there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. But, but then look at the last part of verse number 39. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou will. Not what I want, Lord. It's what you want. Not what I want, Heavenly Father, but what you want. This is the contrast in these two types of living. Those who live after the flesh cannot, will not please God. But those who live in the Spirit, it's not about my will anymore. It's about God's will. I heard a testimony of a pastor this week. Bless my soul. He was a pastor in, in Georgia. He was talking about how that he was in college as a pre-med student. And his dream for pretty much all of his life was to go and be a doctor. And he was doing very well in his classes and, and, uh, and, and getting really good, good grades and working hard. And in the midst of all of that, God saved him. And God called him to preach. And he said, I realized after I got saved and after God put this call on my life, it was no longer about what I wanted. It was about what he wanted. And so he said, now I don't doctor on people physically, but I do my best to doctor on them spiritually. And that's what really counts. And he said, you know what? I'm happier now than I've ever been before because I know I'm doing what God wants. And I'm going to tell you something. For the child of God, that's true. When you know you're in the center of God's will, there's nothing like it. When you know you're doing what God's called you to do, then life really is lived in abundance. It's amazing. No waste in grace. There's no waste in grace. Once you've experienced God's grace and you follow His leading in your life, nothing will be wasted promise. You're not missing out on anything serving Jesus. Romans chapter 8 tells us of the freedom that we have as a child of God. Freedom from defeat. You know we can live victorious lives and we should live victorious lives. Let me tell you why. We're no longer debtors to the flesh. We're, we have no obligation to the flesh. We reckon ourselves dead to the flesh, that old sinful nature, so that we might walk in the Spirit and please our Heavenly Father. And all of that is made possible because 
of verses 9, 10, and 11. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of God, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin. But if the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. Verse 11. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken, there's that word again, make alive your mortal bodies. What's he saying? The Spirit that raised up Jesus now dwells in us. The same power that caused him to walk in the newness of life on that third day causes us to walk in the newness of life. And it's through us he lives and makes a difference in the world that we impact each and every day. In every sphere of influence I have. That's why I want God to live in me. Work on me. Work through me. Fill me up and pour me out. When I go to my home, when I go to my workplace, when I go to my church, in every sphere of life, may God work on me, in me, and through me to accomplish His good will and purpose. Because I know the same power that raised Christ up dwells in me. And child of God, it dwells in you. We're going to talk more about that next week. I'm going to close tonight, though. We're going to stop right there. Verse number 11. We'll come back next week and finish that up. Let me pray for you. We'll be dismissed. Father God, we love you. and Thank you again, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Father, that I am no longer at war with you. Thank you, Lord, you, that you've given me peace. Peace that passeth all understanding. Thank you for all you've done. Make this truth real to the hearer tonight. Holy Spirit, in a way that only you can. If there's one listening this evening that needs to be born again, I pray that tonight be the night they trust in you. Your word tells us that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We are saved by grace through faith. And I pray tonight someone places their faith in you. Lord, help us as believers to go out and please you in everything that we do. Not operating in our power, but Lord, operating in your power. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.